Welcome to Exchange Church, where we desire to connect and grow people in Jesus. Thanks for listening to our Bible message today, and feel free to share it around. We have been doing a series over the past, uh, just prior to Christmas and things like that, about uh, called Gospel-Shaped Relationships. And uh, today, just to sort of set the scene as we come into this last talk here, uh, it's a wonderful thing, isn't it, to be invited to a wedding? It's a great thing to be invited to a wedding. Uh, it's an absolute joy to see a married couple, uh, so couple, uh, so committed and in love with each other, and the joy is just evident in their lives. They seem so happy that you think this could go on forever and forever for this uh, couple on that particular wedding day when you see them uh, so in love and so joyful. Yet, only a few years later, this joy-filled loving couple have grown cold. Uh, even to the point that they may even become bitter enemies, that they'll take each other to court and they'll fight over everything in court with each other. And you'll think, what happened? Where did it go wrong? How could such a joy-filled, happy couple from back then end up here? What transpired to get to this point? We're going to think about that today and think about how the Bible uh, speaks into um, marriage, divorce and remarriage. So if you've got your Bibles, please go with me to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and we're going to read from verse 6 through to 16. Starting at verse 6, now as a concession, not a commandment, I say this, I wish that all of you were as as I myself am. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the, unbeliever, if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife. Father, we come before you today with uh, humble hearts. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you've inspired this word. And uh, Lord, from the very outset, we know that this is a very sensitive thing to talk about. So I pray, please uh, equip me now to talk about it well. But above all, Lord, help us to see and hear your words and to let your grace work in our hearts now. Father, we ask for your help and we ask it in Jesus' name. 
Amen. So, final talk on relationships. Uh, we've thought about over the past weeks, months, what it is to be single, what it is to be dating, uh, what it is to be married, and what it is in family as all we encompass and approach all the relationships in that area there. And I think it's incredibly important that we speak about these things because this is where life is spent for us in any of those particular uh, parts of where we are. Uh, relationships, uh, what God has created us for to bring glory to his name in and through relationship. Relationship with him, but also relationships with each other as well. Relationships also is where we discover much about ourselves, the good, the bad, and sometimes the very ugly in our lives too, gets brought to bear through relationships. God's desire for us though is to grow strong and healthy relationships that help create harmonious and peaceful communities through gospel transformed relationships. That's a tremendous blessing that the Lord builds in our lives as we allow the gospel to shape us in these ways through relationships. And I think if we're really honest, everybody, everybody wants healthy and peaceful relationships. I think it's the cry of every heart. Not many people enjoy tension. In fact, probably nobody does if they're really honest. They would much rather peace and harmony in their relationships other than tension. It's the cry of every heart, I believe. So today we're going to look at uh, when a foundational relationship, marriage, breaks down. So it's going to be marriage, divorce and remarriage. We're going to look at it here from a primarily a Christian perspective. Uh, That is that the gospel is shaping the lives of a husband and a wife and they are calling themselves a follower of Jesus. Submitting themselves to his word and allowing that truth through the spirit's power to shape them. So this is two believers, a believing husband and a believing wife. Now this is good for all of us who think, well I'm not married so can I just check out? No, it's actually good for all of us to understand here how the Bible speaks into our lives to shape these relationships. Having said that, if you're not a believer we are super glad you're here and we think you'll get some good stuff out of this as well and this may even pique your interest and I would love to catch up with you later and talk about more about who Jesus is. A disclaimer though as we begin to start on this, uh, what we'll talk about today isn't the complete word on marriage, divorce and remarriage. Uh, What we're going to do is lay out some biblical principles here, so big picture principles, that's what we'll be doing through this relationship series, that hold for every situation we come across in life. So there's going to be big picture principles, Uh, we'll do that. But we also know that in each of those situations, those individual situations you'll find yourself in, uh, we need much love, humility, discussion, prayer, wisdom and trust to work through the complexities that come with marriage difficulties. So... Big picture principles, but we need more discussion to actually find the nuance to how to apply those principles here in that situation. Uh, And if you need to discuss your individual situation further today as things are perhaps unpacked, please, please contact us. Uh, And again, if I say something today that you disagree with, and I'm sure I'll get plenty of people disagree with me on some things today, I'm, I'm okay with that. I really am if you disagree with me. Ultimately, you won't be disagreeing with me. You'll be disagreeing with what the Bible says. But I would love to catch up with you and talk that through as well. So doors are open, phones there. Anytime you can catch up and talk with me about that. 
Let's start with marriage. Uh, we did a talk on marriage with the biblical foundation a few weeks ago, so we're not going to go over all that ground again. I would encourage you, you can go back to our website and get onto the YouTube channel and you can watch that talk on marriage. We'll give you some really solid uh, biblical principles, gospel foundations in marriage. But what's important here is we want to restate this about marriage, that marriage is a gift of God. Marriage has been designed by God for us as one of the primary relationships uh, for community. It's a sacred relationship, marriage, where one man and one woman come together in a covenant relationship of commitment, companionship and love to each other before the Lord. That's what marriage is. One man and one woman, contrary to what the government might tell us what marriage is today, one man, one woman... Uh, commitment, companionship and love in a covenant before the Lord. God holds marriage in high regard. God sets a really high bar for marriage. It's not something to be entered into flippantly or lightly. We don't just do it on a bit of a whim. We just saw this great snap on Instagram. I want to get married because I saw this great picture on Instagram. Not at all. This is why we have marriage vows at a wedding ceremony. God sets it as a high bar. It's a great and glorious thing, but it's in a high regard. We say things like this, I promise and I commit to love you through sickness and in health, through rich or through poor, through good times or hard, till death do us part. That's a vow that we make before the Lord before family and friends. And it's exactly meant to be like that because there's a high bar here for this thing called marriage, this glorious thing that God's given to us. Marriage, as God designed it, is meant to be a lifelong union, lifelong union of husband and wife. It isn't meant to be once the honeymoon's over, well, okay, I'm over that now, I might just move on to the next person. Or... It isn't meant to be, gee, the times have got a bit tough now, I think I'll just bail out and move on to the next person. It's a commitment for a lifelong union, till death do us part. Look at what Jesus says here when he was asked about marriage, and Dot read it before, Matthew 19 verse 6. He says that they are no longer two, so this is husband and wife, but they're now joined together as one flesh. They're a new unit before the Lord. Therefore... Uh, What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Let not man separate what God has joined together. Bad times don't have to separate us. Because we've committed to stay together through the bad times. We made a vow before the Lord, before family, before friends, to actually stay together. Let not man in any of man's inventions or any of man's ways, let not man separate, stays together. With marriage, we must take a high view that God gives it. High view, not a low view. You see, if we don't take the high view and we take the low view, very quickly we'll allow things to creep in and to erode and to destroy our marriage. If we don't take the high view, God's view. Okay, marriage is both wonderful and beautiful. It's also very hard and heavy as well. I'm convinced by experience with my beautiful wife 
that both the wonderful and the beautiful far outweighs the hard and the heavy. There is hard and heavy there, no question about that, so make sure you've got your eyes wide open when you do go into marriage, and that's why we do lots of pre-marriage counselling to keep you just get the stars out of your eyes somewhat and the roses out of your eyes to see what marriage is going to be about. The beautiful and the wonderful, in my experience, far outweighs the heavy and the hard. But there are seasons in the heavy and the hard where the marriage goes to extreme levels of difficulty. And you can experience extreme, extreme levels of hard and heavy with much pain and much hurt in a marriage. And it's in these seasons when it's really hard and it's really heavy that our hearts are prone to sinful temptation. I'm just over my wife. Actually, I wish I could marry that person over there. She's the wife I want. Or, I should never have married him in the first place. I've got to be careful I look now when I say these things. <laughs> look down here. I should never have married him in the first place. I never knew he's going to be so hard like this. These thoughts just start to come in those times when it's hard and it's heavy and it's extreme. Well, Paul picks this up for us in this letter here to the Corinthians. He picks up this very problem here that the Corinthians are experiencing. And it appears like from this letter here, what the Corinthians have done, they've written to Paul and they've asked questions. Questions about life. Questions that they're facing in this really challenging church here in Corinth. And they're asking questions, well, Paul, how does the gospel, how does Jesus speak into these life issues that we're dealing with? For the Gentiles here in Paul's day, as he writes to you to Corinth, which is a lot of Gentiles in the church, Gentiles are non-Jews, uh, marriage was easily broken. We thought no-fault divorce was a thing of today. Well, no-fault no divorce was a thing of way back then as well. If someone just cooked you a bad meal, that was enough to go get a divorce. Good cook, don't worry, good cook, good cook. But that's how it was. So Paul's dealing with this here in a no-fault divorce, and that's what they're doing. They're getting divorced left, right, and centre. So he's writing now to these Christian, these Gentile Christians here in Corinth about their marriage troubles. They're experiencing the hard and the heavy, and it's getting to extreme levels. And he's writing to them, and he's answering this question. And he says here in verses 10 and 11, as he starts off here, he says this, To the married, I give this charge... Not I, but the Lord. So what, is, what Paul's saying here, this is what Jesus has said. He's referring to the, to the Lord, that's Jesus. The wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. Who's Paul speaking to? Paul's speaking to a husband and wife who are both professing Christians. They're saying that Jesus is our Lord and Saviour and we are following him. We are living our life according to who Jesus is. That's who Paul's addressing here at the start. Think about what he's doing. His command is not some sort of soft encouragement Paul's giving to the Corinthians here. His command, I give this charge, he says. So take this with a high view of marriage. I give this charge, he says. A Christian husband and a Christian wife shouldn't separate. That's biblical. That's not me, although I believe it. It's a big call. Because God holds marriage in high regard. It's not a low bar. It's not just for a few photos on Instagram. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. Paul goes on. Verse 11 says... 
if you have separated from your spouse, if things have got to this state and you've parted, he then says you must remain unmarried or reconcile. It's pretty clear, isn't it? What Paul's saying there. He says you must remain unmarried or reconcile. What's the aim of Christian marriage? It's a lifelong union. God gives us everything we need to make marriage work. God gives us his word and his spirit working through the transformation of repentance and faith, transforming us, changing us, yielding us to his word, And with that, we have all we need to make marriage work. Have a look at 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17 as we think about what God's given us. He's given us his truth. It says here, all scripture, so all of the Bible, is breathed out by God. It's the very words of God. God speaks to us out of the Bible, and it's profitable. What's it profitable for? Profitable means it's good for us. What's it good for? It's good for teaching us. It's good for reproving us. It's good for correcting us. It's good for training us in what? In righteousness or right living. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now he's giving that charge to Timothy, but that applies to us in a principle as well. That word there, this word we have, is good for all those areas to teach us, train us, reprove us, correct us, to lead us into right living in marriage. Everything we need there to actually get our thinking right in marriage is right there in God's word. And it's not just a word that sits here. It's a word that now comes with the indwelling presence of God's Holy Spirit bringing this word alive inside of us. I don't just read it and say, well, I can read it and brush it off to our detriment. Or I can read it and allow God's spirit begin to absorb it and begin to unpack it in my mind. Then it gives me the direction on how to make this marriage work. So here's how I'd sum up what Paul is saying here, just in these couple of verses. For two professing Christians, there are no grounds or justification for divorce. Here's what Jay Adams, a respected biblical counsellor, says. He says this, Since all believers have the word and the spirit, they have all they need to bring about not only reconciliation, but in the future, a marriage that sings. And that's what we want, is a marriage that sings. He's saying the same thing. We have all that we need. Now, you might have questions right here and say, but, but, Bear with me and we'll answer some of those questions as we go. Here's where it goes wrong, though, for Christians in marriage, for those who are professing believers and following Jesus. Either the husband or the wife refuses to use what God has given to us to make marriage work. We don't pick up what he's given to us and then apply it to our lives. Either of them, either the husband or the wife, makes a sinful choice and says, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to pick up the Bible and read what it says. I'm not going to believe what it says. 
and I'm not going to allow the spirit to work on my heart. Or that. And when they make that choice, they walk away from what God has given them to make that marriage work. Now you may say here at this point, but what about if the partner commits adultery? Because we read that before in Matthew chapter 19. Isn't that grounds for divorce? I'll answer yes, because that's what Jesus said as well. But if you've read through as we saw before, because of the hardness of their hearts, Moses allowed that to be permitted. It wasn't you must follow that pathway. But even in that, if you have a partner who's committed adultery on you in marriage, I still say we have everything we need in the gospel to forgive the guilty party and to reconcile a marriage, even if that's taken place. Now, that'll be a really, really tough situation. And I feel for anybody who's had their trust broken in such a shattering way. That would need lots of discussion and lots of prayer to work through that challenging scenario. But I'm still completely convinced, utterly convinced, that even in that, the gospel gives us all we need to work through to actually give forgiveness and see those parties reconciled providing the parties are willing to apply that to their lives. So you might claim those grounds, but even there, if you're truly acknowledging Jesus, you have give, you've been given all you need to make that still work by coming and offering forgiveness. Just a small disclaimer here as we work through this, because you might have questions and thoughts in your mind right now, but what about if my spouse, who's saying they're a Christian, is physically violent or abusive or even emotionally abusive? Does Paul say, I've got to stay there and cop all that? Sort of become like a punching bag or something like that at all? No. No. If you were to come to Steve and I as the elders of this church, our counsel for you, if you're in that situation of physical abuse or physical violence or, uh, or emotionally abusive, we would say you need to find a safe place and we will help you find a safe place so you can actually get out of that relationship for the time being until we maybe can get some dialogue happening. That doesn't mean we've got to get you back in the same room straight away, but we, hey, let's get you safe and we'll try and get some dialogue happening between there. And we would still aim for reconciliation, but it may not happen, depending on the um, abusing spouse at that particular time. And sometimes, if a spouse really loses the plot and remains abusive, we will counsel and just remain separated then. Remain separated. So we will never put anybody at risk there. So just hold that disclaimer there as well. Paul moves on then to another situation here in uh, verses 12 and 16. Uh, He makes this really interesting comment in verse 12. He says, I, not the Lord. You might be thinking, okay, Paul, why are you saying that? Is this just your own thoughts now, Paul, not the Lord? How goes this, Paul? Should we take this as truth or not? What Paul is probably saying, you might even see it in brackets in your Bible there as well, what Paul is probably saying here is, actually, Jesus never addressed this type of a situation that I'm about to address now. Jesus primarily spoke into a Jewish audience, so it's now my thoughts, because I'm facing a situation that Jesus didn't face, but doesn't make it any less inspired by the Holy Spirit, okay? There's still the Spirit-inspired Word of God. Paul says this in verse 12, to the rest, to the rest, we need to stop and think, well, what do you mean by that, Paul? To the rest. He's actually spoken about one group 
of people. Now he's talking about a different group of people in marriage. And he says, to the rest, dealing with a different category of people. The context now that Paul is speaking into for the Corinthian church and these Gentile marriages is this. Paul is talking about people here who are married to an unbeliever. A believer married to an unbeliever is what Paul's talking to. And this can be a common occurrence. Often it happens, a husband or a wife becomes a believer in Jesus after they've married. So they've grown up, they've got married, and then Jesus miraculously comes and becomes their Lord and Saviour. But their spouse hasn't become a believer. It's only the husband or wife at this point. It's a really hard place to be, and we're going to talk about that in a moment. But here's what Paul says in verses 12 to 13. To the rest, this is this other category of people, I say... I, not the Lord, so this is Paul's wisdom inspired by the Holy Spirit, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. Or if any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever, so the woman's a believer, the husband's an unbeliever, and he consents to live with her, Paul counsels the Corinthian church, she should not divorce him. Paul's saying, if there's a relatively harmonious situation here, all things considered, okay, he goes to church, she doesn't, or she goes to church and he doesn't, and he's not affecting her walk, or she's not affecting his walk, all things considered, it's relatively peaceful and relatively harmonious. Paul says, stay with your unbelieving spouse. Don't separate. Don't look for divorce. Stay with them. Now, just a word here on behalf of a husband or wife in this situation. This can be a very difficult place to be with an unbelieving spouse, particularly for the wife, particularly for the wife. Uh, we have some ladies here at Exchange who are married to unbelieving husbands and they carry a lot of pain, a lot of emotional stress in this type of relationship. What do they need? They just need us to love these wives to care for these ladies, to get around them, to support them, to encourage them, to pray for them for this difficult journey that they're on when they're married to an unbelieving husband or can be vice versa. So that's what a family does. That's what a church does. We get around these ones and we support them in that. So let's. We, some of you are aware of those ones. We need to love those ladies and bless them. Paul follows this up now in verse 14. He says to the believing wife or husband, uh, you, you, what, what you don't realise is you have a grace-filled influence upon your unbelieving spouse. So Paul's saying, hey, when you choose to live with them and make that choice, you have this uh, influence of grace upon their lives and vice versa. Uh, wife to the, or husband to the wife. Your prayers and influence could be just what the Lord uses here to bring your husband or wife to faith. So Paul says, no, don't look to separate. Stay, stay, stay. And he goes on and he says the same thing. For your children, you'll have children involved here as well. He says the same thing. You have an influence here upon your children which could have a powerful effect in winning them to Christ. Because they're seeing Jesus living out through their mother or Jesus living out through their father. Loving their mother, loving their husband or wife in a difficult situation, and the kids are able to see that. And Paul's saying, you'll have a grace-filled effect upon them. That's what it means there when it says they'll be whole. It doesn't mean they'll be saved, and that's it, they're in because of that. It's a grace-filled influence upon their life in that situation. Now, it may not always work out like that. 
that you can live harmoniously here as a believer with an unbeliever. Paul knows that. For some spouses, a believing husband or wife isn't what, isn't what uh, they want. They may not like their new husband or their new wife because now they won't join them in actually you know, falsifying their business records in their business any longer because now the believing wife says, I'm not going to sign a lie. I'm just not going to sign to that stuff anymore because I'm a person who wants to tell the truth. So the unbelieving husband said, what the heck? We've been doing this for years. So that gets their hackles up. Or uh, the believing spouse says, I just don't want to live in this self-indulgent party lifestyle. The believing spouse, I just don't want to live like that anymore. So you, they begin to pull away from that. So the unbelieving spouse says, no, I don't want this. This is not what I signed up for. I want out. A really stressful place to be in when it gets that way. It's like light and dark trying to work together here. The believing spouse may do all they can, all they can to try and influence and to win their unbelieving spouse, but it's just not going to happen. And ultimately the unbeliever walks out. Paul addresses this here in verse 15. He says this, But if the unbelieving partner separates... Let it be so. Paul says, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace, in verse 15. You can't stop that from happening. You can't stop the husband or the wife just, I'm out, and they pack their bags and go, you can't physically stop that from happening. If they want to separate and divorce, you must let them go. Now, the interesting phrase here, if we, as we think about that verse, particularly in itself, the interesting phrase is this. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. What does that mean? Well, there's two fairly, I guess, two main views that are out there when people actually come to thinking, what does this word mean, not enslaved? A fairly strong conservative view takes this as meaning you're not enslaved to that marriage anymore, but also you must remain unmarried until he or she returns to you. That's one view, perhaps a smaller minority view, but a fairly strongly conservative view says uh, you can leave the marriage, but you're not free to remarry. Another view is that Paul is saying you're no longer enslaved to that marriage And you're now free to remarry because your spouse has divorced you, probably presuming that your spouse has moved on, got into another relationship and had sexual relations with them, so um, adultery has taken place. And you're now free to remarry. You may be asking, where do we stand here at Exchange Church with the elders? Well, the elders here sit with the second view there of understanding that verse, that no longer enslaved in that marriage would mean you're free to remarry if your unbelieving spouse files for divorce. That's where we sit as a church on that particular verse there. Again, as I talk about this, these are broad principles that need to be applied with care and sensitivity and love and wisdom in every different situation we come across because these are very tricky. And as a church, we want to walk that journey with every person who may be going through that every step of the way as they're facing these challenges here, particularly in marriage. Marriage is complex. Why? Because we are broken people bringing our sinful baggage into a close relationship that brings the best and the worst out of us. 
Let's not forget that the gospel speaks into our marriages. God desires to see strong and healthy marriages working through all the challenges that we will face in this world, not may face, that we will face in this world. Remarriage. Can we remarry? How does remarriage look? How does Paul even think about that here? Well, the Bible absolutely encourages remarriage. Uh, 1 Timothy 5.14, Paul encourages widows to remarry. We won't put up there, you can just note that reference there and go back and read that. Uh, Even in this chapter, 1 Corinthians 7.39, Paul again says the same thing about widows, to go and to remarry. But he puts on there, in the Lord. In other words, you look for another Christian partner to marriage. You sort of basically go back to first principles again in that. So in a widow's position, which would say not only widows as in ladies, but also surely that would mean widowers as in men, if their wife dies, they too can remarry. Paul says, tick, go for it, remarry. What about Christian divorcees? Can they remarry? Super complicated on one hand and highly emotional on the other hand. We just saw there in Corinthians 7 verses 10 11, we just saw that it tells us that Christians shouldn't divorce. Paul says that they shouldn't divorce. If they have divorced, the word tells us they need to remain unmarried to professing Christians following Jesus. You may say, well, the word Paul uses there is separated, not divorce. Is there any sort of difference there? Do we think about those words? Well, what I'd say that there is the word separate that Paul uses at the start of that verse has a root meaning of divorce. And that's why he uses that word for the husband later on. He says, and husband, don't divorce your wife. It's really saying the same thing. You can't get remarried. If a Christian couple has divorced following Jesus... It isn't permissible for them to remarry. Now you might think, I can't believe that. Is that, is that really true? That's what it says. Because God holds marriage in a high regard, high bar. It's a lifelong union till death do us part. One possible remarriage clause here, which Jesus spoke about in Matthew chapter 19... If either the husband or the wife decides, makes a conscious decision to reject the word of God, go against God's word, and then go and remarry, thereby committing the sin of adultery, in that case, that would give grounds for remarriage for the spouse who's tried to do the right thing. For the spouse who said, no, no, I'm committed to what God says. He actually says there that if two Christians divorce, they can no longer live together and they've annulled this marriage. It says there we are not to remarry. We are meant to live single for the rest of our lives. If one's committed themselves to that and then the other spouse has raced off and said, nah, to heck with that, I'm doing my own thing. That then would give grounds for that believing spouse who's tried to do the right thing then to remarry. Now, I can fully understand what we've been working through here today uh, will drag up a whole stack of emotions and a whole stack of questions. I get that. You may be thinking of your own situation. You may be thinking of the sin you've already committed, perhaps, in divorce. You may look back and acknowledge that you divorced for 
all the wrong reasons. You didn't apply the truth of God's word to your life or to your marriage and you got out because you were just over him or you were just over her. And you just divorced. Didn't apply God's word to it. It's raising those emotions in you now. Uh, you also may be thinking like this. You have family or friends, close family, could be brothers, could be sisters, could be parents even, who profess to be Christians and they've divorced. And you're thinking, oh, I can't believe that. Because you've experienced all the fallout from those painful experiences that you've been through with a brother or a sister or a family member. And maybe you're taking some of that pain onto yourself now because you, you know how close you were to that situation when your brother or your sister or your mother or father divorced. Here's a couple of things I'd say about that. Unfortunately, the church, I'm talking believers who follow Jesus, has done itself no favours over the years with its place in the community when it comes to marriage breakdown. It has let the community down big time because we've treated marriage so lightly and just ended in divorce so quickly. I fully get that we have weakened our gospel witness into the community when we have so much marriage breakdown within the church. I get that. It's a disaster. Marriage is a wonderful and beautiful thing. It's a gift from God. Marriage is complex. It's hard. But God hasn't left us alone to work it out all ourselves. He's given us all we need from the Lord to make it happen. And we need to use all the grace that God gives us and he will give us a marriage that that will flourish with joy despite the hard times that we will go through. It's important also to know this. Divorce isn't the unforgivable sin. Some of you will be sitting here thinking right now, Have I I just totally blown it? Divorce is not the unforgivable sin. Really important to get that. The gospel is a gospel of forgiveness and redemption. The gospel picks us up in our mess and redeems us and enables us to walk forward now to bring honour and glory to the Lord. We can't undo what's happened in the past. We may go back and say sorry to some people that we've hurt. But if you're remarried to someone else, you can't go and break that marriage up and try and go back to this one because that's another sin you commit by doing that. You, can, you don't do that. That's the marriage you're in now. But it's important to get that, that divorce isn't the unforgivable sin. So for those who are struggling with that thought right now, that's why it's called the gospel of grace. Here's a common problem I see when it comes to marriage and separation. If it takes 10 steps for a couple to go from married to eventually divorced, if it takes 10 steps, say, for argument's sake, generally they might come and see me at step 8 or step 9. It's gone so far down the track. Now, I get you may not jump up at step 1 or 2 or 3 because they are, we can probably work. This is just one of those tough times. But surely to goodness, when you get to step 4 or 5, just... Begin to call out to somebody. Don't wait to step eight or step nine. So much water's gone under the bridge. It's such a difficult current now to push back against. Don't wait that long in that way. We're a church committed to strong, safe, loving and flourishing marriages in Christ. We know that it's fully achievable. 
when we use what God has given us to build marriages in covenant through commitment, companionship and love. What does God do? God gives us his word. If you like, it's a marriage manual to instruct us on marriage, to live a, a married life that glorifies God. God's given us his indwelling, empowering presence. His Holy Spirit lives within us and empowers us to follow this word and yield ourselves to it no matter how hard it might be and how difficult it may be and then to experience joy as we submit ourselves to the Lord in marriage. What has also God done? He places us in a loving community, in a body of people that actually want to come and step alongside you and help you navigate your way through the challenges of marriage. That's a gift of God's grace. Everybody here is actually cheering for everybody to see their marriage become strong. That's a gift of his grace to help us step through those challenging seasons. And if you are in a difficult season and you have lots of questions about your marriage and you're experiencing this pain, could I say, please, 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 don't keep it to yourself. Reach out. Reach out contact us. We would love to be involved to help you rebuild your marriage. Don't just walk away from it like that. Now you may not be a Christian here today, but you like the sound of this gospel ideal here of marriage. You like this high bar that God has made it to be, something strong, something permanent, something lifelong. Super glad you're here today. We'd ask you, please stick around. If you've got questions about that, come and see me after the service. I would love to actually help you know more about who Jesus is. As we close then, here's the question I want you to just think about. All of us, particularly when it comes to marriage, are we willing to take up what God has given us and to make it work? Are we really willing to engage with God's word and say, that's the truth, I need to submit myself to it and I believe that the Holy Spirit will give me the strength and power to do that, to navigate the most difficult season. Are you willing to do that? Or will you just walk away and say, no, I can't do it? Let me pray. Father, thank you today as we come and uh, discuss this really challenging topic. Thank you for the Apostle Paul. Thank you, Lord, the way you inspired him to write into the Corinthian church where they had so many marriage difficulties and people were just walking away from their marriages left, right and centre. God, thank you for the truth that cuts through the lies of this world, that cuts through the darkness of this world, the truth that transforms us and the truth that comes with the power of your spirit to help us live in this way. Lord, for those who are feeling the hurt of divorce, for those who are now feeling the condemnation and the guilt that Satan is heaping upon them in this moment. God, I pray it just awaken them to the truth that they are new creations in Christ. That all of their sin, past, present and future, has been dealt with at the cross. When Jesus said it is finished, it is truly finished. God, as the scars of divorce may still plague them from time to time. Let them come back to the truth of your word and to be comforted in your spirit, just reading the precious promises of your word, I ask. Let them seek good counsel or good company they can share this journey with within the family of Christ. And Father, we pray. We pray for strong marriages. 
working through the challenges of life, working through the difficulties that we face. Strong marriages, as Jay Adams said before, that will sing. Sing with joy in Christ. Sing with love for each other. Sing, Lord, with the victories that we can achieve through those hard and difficult times. Father, we ask that we pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we're going to move to a time of communion, so if they could pass that out. Uh, one book I'm going to recommend, Jerry, if you can throw that up for me, mate, uh, is a great resource uh, by Jay Adams, Marriage, Divorce and Remarriage in the Bible. It's about 100 pages, but it's a really, really great book at unpacking this topic. And um, if you wanted something to read about that, uh, I would take hold of that book. We hope you found today's talk challenging and fruitful. Don't hesitate to get in touch by visiting our website or sending us an email. But we'd love for you to join us in person as well.